0: Welcome to Just Jive Pod, a podcast where we share a drink, talk about life, and just
1: jive. My name is Jerome. And I'm Jossie, and we're joined by a special guest. Um,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. Can you uh, introduce yourself briefly? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ronald, and I am in the finance industry. Um, I actually listen to this podcast every week.
0: Awesome. Oh,
2: another fan. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of nice to just listen while working, um, kind of like background noise. Um, but I do uh, intentionally listen to you guys. Sweet intentional background noise. Yes, Thanks, man, that's <laughs> awesome.
1: Um, disclaimer, our guest. Um, he, you know, we it's his code name, so uh, we're going to be talking about some sensitive stuff. Uh, but yeah, just a quick little disclaimer there. But uh, first, we actually want to introduce um, and uh, talk about our hope to be sponsored maybe in the future um tavor so tavor is an app that um, you can buy a lot of really cool beers from um and right now it's um from beers all across the country um, all across the, the states and they feature new beers every day um they you can either um, pick the bottles you want for that um for your crate or you can actually participate in a subscription um and, yeah, you, you don't have to do both. You can do whatever you want. Um, and it's a really cool way to try and get new beers um, from places that you normally wouldn't go to get beers. And just good stuff that's made all across the country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, our beer that we're featuring today. Oh, I almost forgot. Our promo code. Yes. So, Very um, important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Um, If you haven't signed up for Tavor yet, this is a really great time to because you can actually enter our promo code um, and you can get 10 bucks after spending your first 25 bucks. So, our promo code is just jive. Again, that's just jive, J U S T J I V E. Um, If you enter it before um, your first purchase, uh, if you spend 25 bucks, you'll get $10 uh, credit for your next purchase. Um, So, basically, that's a couple free beers um, on us. Mm -hmm. So, back to our beer um this is another one that we got from our um our shipments from tavor this one's called beer blanche it's from side project um, which is based in st louis missouri it's five percent abv Um, it came in a 750 uh, milliliter bottle Um, it's pretty cool Um, it's a wine barrel aged wit beer Um,
2: Hmm. it's pretty pretty unique Uh, what do you guys think I'm not really into sour beers. This is pretty sour for my palate, but um I do like the acidity and the the citrus taste to it. So it's it's pretty smooth.
0: Yeah, I mean I've uh, you know been getting into sour beers a lot more lately. So yeah, yeah. this is very refreshing and um very citrusy as well, like like you said. So
1: yeah, I'm enjoying it, man. How about you? Yeah, same. Um, on the sour scale, it's not very like. It's honestly not that bad. The the, the initial punch is pretty strong, but then mm-hmm. it fades pretty quickly. So it allows you to taste a lot of those flavors. And and like our guest said, it's it's really good on that palate. Um, you get a lot of that citrus zest, and mm-hmm. um, and it fades out pretty nicely. Um, yeah. it again, five percent is not too bad. So. We're just sipping it, enjoying it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, hopefully
0: you guys are drinking or munching on something good too as you listen. Um, So today, um, our guest, codename Ronald, is coming in to talk about a topic called uh, extreme occupational hazard. Um, Kind of a joke because it's, you know, a little... uh, Exaggerated in its own way, but um, (laughs) a little little bit, yeah. But we're we're talking about um, Ronald's several stints with um, jobs, and specifically jobs in two countries, Dubai and Korea. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of just fun stories and crazy stories we've heard uh, through the years, just talking to him um, casually. But so we we thought it'd be really fun to just talk about it, and of course. A little sensitive, sort yeah. of, but um we we wanna uh, just bring him on
1: today to talk about it. Yeah. So um, yeah, so really quick again, um you know you mentioned you're in the financial industry. We wanna get to know just a little bit about, you know, who you are, what you do. Again, granted, you know, we're using your code name, but just yeah, tell us
2: about your your work history and, and stuff. So currently I'm in the finance industry, uh, dealing with a lot of financial reporting, um, you know, whether it's, uh, preparing or auditing financial statements for companies or presenting to, you know, board of directors, things like that. Um, that's pretty much my profession. Um, yeah. So how did, you know,
1: how did you get there? Like, (laughs) You know, we you had some work history
2: in Dubai and Korea. Were those like your first jobs, or did you work somewhere else before those? Um? So for some reason, I was always involved with money when I was a kid. Oh, uh, okay. Like if you gave me a math equation and like, I, I I wouldn't be able to solve it, but if you put dollar signs in front of the math equation, I could solve it in a heartbeat. Interesting. It, it Interesting. Makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. But but you know that's just how i was yeah. and um i'm going to age myself but i graduated college around 20 uh 2007 2008 okay okay mm-hmm. um so i don't know if you remember back then but the that's when the housing crash happened mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it was horrible for the job market mm-hmm. um i just ended up in korea somehow because my father um had a business there uh so Um, I was working there, and somehow, one way or another, I got involved with another company that was uh, doing investments in the Middle East. Oh, okay. Um, And this is where the sensitive part comes in. But the other company was actually the Saudi Bin Laden group. Um, So, uh, yes, the Bin Laden family, uh, the the, the family that bred um, Osama Bin Laden, that was them. Uh but uh people don't know this, but they're a legitimate business family. They're mm. a huge family, uh really wealthy in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, originally started off as a construction company, um, sort of. Okay. Um so the father uh actually um got a lot of uh, construction jobs, whether it was, you know, building roads or uh renovating um the holy mm-hmm. Mecca uh the father was getting all of the contracts from Mm. from the king of saudi arabia wow so that's kind of how they built their their corporate empire yeah uh, yeah yeah so i guess dubai came after korea then is that right
1: or did um because i think um you know we had we had talked about it offline but you you've been Korea at different times so did korea happen first
2: yeah, so it was a little intermingled. So okay. Korea happened first and then due to um the business that was going on, I was sent to the Middle mm. East okay for maybe like anywhere between 6 months to a year. Okay. And then later I was back in Korea for okay. about 3 or so years. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that first time you're in Korea then um you know
1: you mentioned like you came out of college and it was um, the whole housing, cr- you know, crash in America. Um, this, yeah. How did how did you end up in Korea then? Like, what what led you there?
2: So my father told me to come to Korea okay. so that I could learn business. Okay, um, and you know I studied economics and business in school, so you know it wasn't out of uh, my realm, mm-hmm. um, and there were no jobs here. Um, right. Right because of the mm-hmm. situation um so you know i didn't really have much of a choice but to go right um definitely the biggest problems or issues that i had when i moved to korea was you know um i speak the language uh my parents are korean mm-hmm. um so so I would think that I could kind of blend into the culture right mm-hmm. away, right. but but it was really weird because I was some sort of an outcast where I was hmm. I wasn't Korean, mm-hmm. um, right. so so a lot of discrimination in that sense. Um, yeah. Interesting. So you're eth- you're
1: ethnically Korean, but maybe not culturally Korean from at least the perspective of the people in Korea, right? Right. Mm. Interesting. So how long were you in Korea
2: before you ended up moving out to uh the Middle East? So I was in Korea for about 3 months or so. Okay, okay, pretty short. Yeah. Um and pretty much uh the Saudi bin Laden group through indirect investments. Uh-huh. Um and it just so happened and this story isn't really confirmed, but when 9/11 actually happened, there was a lot of scrutiny with the family. Although uh-huh. they had already disowned osama bin laden mm-hmm. um several years before um i'm not going to give a history lesson but uh, <laughs> it has to but do yeah. with the gulf war All and right. kind of the conflict between um osama bin laden and the u.s mm-hmm. and uh, the king of saudi arabia kind of taking sides with the u.s at that time mm-hmm. um so Fast forward to when 9-11 happened and mm-hmm. uh, the plane crashes on the World Trade Center. Um, the Saudi bin Laden group's assets were frozen for a period of time. Hmm. Um, off the top of my head, I don't remember because it was so long ago, mm-hmm. but I think it was anywhere between four to five years. Oh, wow. And oh wow! I tried to research this and I could not find it anywhere. But ironically, I was having a discussion with someone that used to work for the State Department, uh-huh. and he knew exactly what I was talking Whoa. about. So, you know. That's real crazy. <laughs> four to five years later, um, their assets are unfrozen because, um, you know, they didn't really have any ties with Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. Um and now people were lining up because they were looking for investments because they had all right, this money that right. was stagnant for four to five years that mm-hmm. they needed to put into investments. So that's kind of where that relationship came in, hmm. where they wanted to invest in a TV factory in Dubai. Okay, yeah. So you know,
1: you mentioned um, you know you mentioned that your your dad wanted you to um, kind of come over to help business. Um, was it like family business?
2: Uh, it started off as a family business. Okay. Um later I was uh I was involved with another company that was so much bigger than our family business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um it was actually uh one of the biggest manufacturers of TV in Korea. I would say between the 1970s through the 90s. Okay. Um and then we hit the digital age where they were kind of um took a backseat to Samsung and LG. Mm-hmm. Uh so I mean fast forward to now the the company company no longer exists. Uh, okay. okay. Um So yeah, we'll we'll yeah. come back to this idea um of
1: of the Korean family like business model. Um, yeah. But since we're already uh, kind of getting into your work with in Dubai and yeah, let's um let's talk about that a little bit. That's
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah well I mean it's one thing going to Korea as a Korean American, but as a Korean American, going to Dubai must have been quite a lot different. Um, how was the day-to-day in Dubai, like, how was adjusting to living there for um, that period?
2: So, interestingly, if you have a U.S. passport, in the Middle East, no one can touch you. Huh? Oh. There is this stigma that you have that um, if any issue happens, that you could just kind of go to the American embassy and they'll solve all your problems. Wow. Mm. Um, so uh, I have a story. My brother was actually there in Dubai with me at mm-hmm. the time. Um, he got into a car accident and um, pretty much the police showed up and said, hey, you have to pay for all damages because he had an Asian face and you know he wasn't from the area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. At which point he pulled out his passport. Because you have you should have your passport with you at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right when the police officer saw that he was a, a US citizen, he just said, you could go. Whoa, really? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's a that's a quick turnaround. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't really help your ego. Right, uh, right. Because you have this sense that you're invincible. Right. Um, and at the same time, um having an Asian face uh helps out because you kind of blend into the scenery. Huh. I don't know if you've traveled but there's Asians everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I don't know for whatever reason, uh whatever Asian ethnicity you are, um there's a lot of immigrants in you know Europe, Middle East, um mm-hmm. in the US, uh South America as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Did did it get to your ego too when you were <laughs> living there?
2: Actually no, because uh okay. I always took it as i was there um on a temporary basis Mm -hmm. um i did not want to be part or ingrained into the culture there right Mm -hmm. right um i actually hated being there Mm. oh Um,
0: okay so what did you hate so much about uh being there
2: so there's uh probably two instances or two two items that um kind of come to mind that i really despised about the place one was Mm. um So, during the duration of my stay, um, I was there for uh, the holy period of Ramadan. Oh, okay. And that's, uh, depending on their calendar system, it kind of lies at different parts of our calendar year. Okay. Uh, But when I was there, so throughout Ramadan, they fast during the day. Hmm. Um, And um, it's fine if it does not really... uh, affect your way of life or work Mm -hmm. um, but they change the entire dynamics of their day in Mm. order to get through the day fasting Mm. so if you usually show up to work at eight and you leave home at five Mm -hmm. uh, they come to work at noon and then they leave at three or four o'clock so that right when the sun goes down they could start feasting Right. Mm. right and then well, they pray and they start feasting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then and then throughout the night, they're just feasting and partying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go to sleep late. And so then they, they wake, wake up, up late. closer to noon right. so that they could do it all over the, again. Huh. And um, some other people might say that their experiences with this time is different. But that's what I've noticed with the corporate culture in the Middle East. Oh. Um, so... It's interesting because uh, they all take this time very seriously, Hmm. but to me, they were kind of bending the rules and not taking it seriously by changing their dynamics of the day. Interesting. Interesting. Um, So almost hypocritical in a way, uh, but I'm sure other people have a different take. Sure. Um, The second thing I had an issue with was uh, there was so much money involved um, where... Uh, The roads have so many potholes, but you see Ferraris and Lamborghinis driving down the street. Mm. Um, So here uh, in South Orange County, uh, we say that there's a big uh, gap in between wealth. Um, where uh, there's a lot of rich people and there's mm-hmm. a lot of poor people that live side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't notice it as much here as you do there mm. because there's people in high-rise penthouse apartments that are a million dollars. And literally on the sidewalk next to them, there's people living on cardboard boxes. Wow. Mm-hmm. So um, that was very evident there. right? The oh, wow.
1: disparity of wealth. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah.
0: So speaking about like just being there professionally and kind of just having that mindset of doing your job there. Um, did you end up working really closely with the, uh, the Bin Laden family and kind of dealing with them like pretty often throughout your whole stay?
2: Yes. So they were actually 50% owners of um, Uh. the company that I was employed by in Korea. Okay. Um, so, uh, I would have to present the financial statements. I would have to kind of be a a liaison of communication between Mm -hmm. them uh, and the Korean company, Mm. Uh, which was difficult because I'm juggling two different cultures that at that point I knew or I thought I knew about, but I obviously didn't. Mm. Um, So, yes, I I work closely with maybe two or three of uh, the bin Laden family members.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah was I mean you mentioned like juggling both the the Korean side and also the uh, the Middle Eastern side like what was that process like being the liaison between two very very, very different. different it seems yeah. like right i mean
2: so the cultural difference was Korea's very much fast fast paced mm-hmm. where uh, when you give something to someone, they want it, you know, within the next hour or the next day. Mm. Uh, with Saudi Arabia, it was a little more laid back. Um, we could take time on this. What's the rush? Especially during that Ramadan season, mm. Uh, mm. where they weren't working a full day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the cultural aspect that was frustrating. Um, the timing aspect that was frustrating is Saudi Arabia has a different weekend than. Uh, the Hmm. rest of the world where at at the time the weekend was thursday and friday and everyone else it's uh, saturday and sunday so between those differences and the time zone you technically only had two days to figure things out Mm -hmm. Um, two days of crossover between like the countries i guess right exactly wow (laughs) that's Um, insane ironically in 2013 satiriba changed their weekend so Uh that there's one day of overlap but i'm sure it's still frustrating if anyone has to deal with those two ends
1: yeah wow i I mean i'm i've i haven't worked in internet like international like business or anything so this this concept is super foreign to me that you're you're dealing with different entities that are across different countries and time zones like, and
0: cultures I think and that's cultures. A big I'm I'm already like annoyed that I have to work with East Coast people who <laughs> are three right. hours ahead, but can't imagine all those other barriers. Um, but yeah, like working with the family. Um, how was that? Like, was it? I mean, going in, you knew it was like, oh, this is the family, like yeah. of Bin Laden. Like, did you have any expectations of what
2: that would be like, and how did that pan out? Yeah. One thing I noticed was that um, Osama bin Laden um, was very hush-hush. It was, he was kind of a, a four-letter word um, oh, okay. mm. within the company. Um, and uh, people say it, it might be staged and they're probably harboring him somewhere and, mm-hmm. and, and protecting him. Uh, but uh, from my experience, um, that it seemed like a, a clean cut where Mm. they said, we have nothing to do with this guy. right? Like it was more taboo
1: almost to even bring him up. Yeah. Interesting. um,
2: Based on the stories that I've heard uh, from people that I worked with, um, that entire side of the family, um, including uh, Osama bin Laden's mother, was Mm. some sort of the black sheep of the family. Mm. So um, it it had very uh, sensitive... um, a sensitive background Mm -hmm. per se.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's, yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, again, like I mentioned before, we're going to come back into the idea of the Korean family business model, but this is a, like, this is also a family business
2: model too. Like the bin Laden family is like a business you said, right? Yes. So, uh, between the brothers of, um, the main father that kind of grew the empire, um, I believe there's over 50 uh, siblings in, mm. that, in that generation. Wow. Um, of, of the over 50 siblings, and, and this is from, um, I don't remember specifically, but 15 or 20 different wives. Mm-hmm. Um, and of the 50 siblings, uh, almost about half of them are male. Um, Mm. And this is just an estimate. There's no solid evidence of this anywhere. (laughs) Right. Um, But from what I've heard. Yeah. um, So for every male sibling there is, uh, there's almost a one-to-one company to sibling ratio where each of them are running their own company within that conglomerate empire. Within the umbrella of the family. Correct. Mm. Um, So... Uh, the two oldest brothers actually, um, I believe are not living anymore. So, uh, and they, they passed away, uh, probably before even I was born. Hmm. Um, but, uh, the third brother was the one that was heading the entire, Uh. the operations of the Saudi Bin Laden group. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Okay. So what was your exposure to like the entire family, um, like you say you worked with like a, a couple of the brothers more directly, but did you get a peek into like their entire family um at all? Like other than just professionally?
2: No, it was it was purely professional. Okay. Got okay. It. Um but they're very hospitable. Okay. Um it's not so it, when I say, Oh, I do business with someone here, it's very um surface level. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um Maybe I'll golf with them so that we maybe, can build a relationship. Yeah. But um, in the middle east uh it kind of coincides your personal relationship and your business relationship kind of coincides mm-hmm. where you talk about life with them um you you share a meal with them right mm-hmm. um, i I believe that sharing a meal with someone in middle Eastern culture is very sacred mm-hmm. uh, it's very important so if someone is invites you out to dinner, then that means they they really want to be close to you. Right? Right, um, right. Whereas here you, you take anyone out to dinner. Right, <laughs> yeah, uh, Right. It depends on who's paying though. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. How, um,
1: in your business, like, and you know, you said you had to do like financial reports and, um, you know, presenting to essentially both sides of, of, like the Korean side and the, the middle Eastern side. How often did you end up interacting with, um, like the, the bin Laden family then, since you had to present all this stuff, like,
2: frequently at least on a monthly basis okay um, I would have to to meet with um, one of them or uh, a manager that was working with them okay. um, so I did a lot of travel between um, the Middle East and and Korea and they had several operations throughout the Middle East as well mm. so I was traveling between those countries as well mm-hmm. Um, I would say within like a year to a year and a half range, I racked up over a hundred thousand miles in travel, uh, flight miles. Nice. Just, just based on how, how often you had to bounce between both. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot of miles.
0: And how old were you at this time? Like uh, early twenties, right?
2: Yeah. So I was out of school maybe, uh, two or three years by that time. So early twenties.
0: Okay. That's some crazy uh, experience for a recent grant. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
1: I mean, most people, when they travel, they're like, oh, I'm going to go travel for fun and all this stuff. It's like, no, you're traveling for work. Strictly
0: business. Strictly
1: business and professional. Yeah. And, I mean, granted,
2: there's probably a little bit of, like, maybe a little bit of tourism-ish. You would think so, but um, since I traveled for work at such an early age, it ruined uh, the the ideas uh, or or the principles of travel for leisure for me. Mm, interesting. Okay. <laughs> so I
0: just never happened. <laughs> yeah. So just, yeah, yeah, business. Yeah. Professional. Okay, so within that six, you said about six months to a year, uh, going back and forth to Dubai, were there any last, like,
2: really memorable stories and memories from um, that time? So the most memorable story was when I had to... Illegally purchased beer, Mm. beer and alcohol. Um, So, give us a little context. Why was it? Why why was it illegal? And how? Yeah, give us the story. What What happened? So, in Dubai, uh, alcohol is illegal except for foreigners. Um, So, there certain supermarkets have like an alcoholic section that only foreigners can go into. And all of the resorts and um, hotels have bars where um, uh, foreigners could go to mm-hmm. to have a drink. Right. Um, uh, other than that, the the locals it's rather hard to purchase alcohol huh. um, mm-hmm. unless maybe you are coming in through the airport and you go to duty free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it's it's a little difficult to just you know go to the supermarket and grab right, right. grab a beer okay but with that said uh i wanted i wanted a beer um to kind of hang out back back at my apartment uh-huh. um so uh instead of just hopping down to the supermarket we thought we <laughs> would be a little a little adventurous uh-huh. um, okay and we actually drove to this secluded boatyard <laughs> Uh, near the the harbor. Um, okay, it was and, straight
0: out of a mafia movie.
2: <laughs> well, it's a little different because it's the desert. Yeah. yeah. Um, and interestingly, there was two guys sitting on plastic chairs in front of the gate of the boatyard. <laughs> uh, supposedly, based, based on the stories that I heard, during the day, you actually go into the boatyard oh, okay. and stash somewhere... Inside one of the boats, there's alcohol that you could pull out. Wow. But at this time, it was sometime between like 10.30 and 11 when I was there. So uh, I went up to uh, the the two guys on the chairs, and they immediately yeah. knew that we were there for alcohol. <laughs> of course. Um, so uh, I don't know why I said Heineken, but <laughs> it's the only beer that came to mind during <laughs> my flight or fight or flight mode (laughs) uh and and i asked for a bottle of gray goose um, all right because that was the only hard alcohol that i that came to mind at the time and he gave me a number uh i don't remember the exact amount but based on the conversion it was somewhere around 40 dollars and um which is pretty cheap considering you're getting a bottle of gray goose and um like a six pack no, it ended up being like a twenty-four oh, wow. pack, 24 case. pack? Dang. Yeah, of of Heineken. Oh, um, dude,
1: that's a pretty good deal then.
2: So so he said, Oh, give me the money and one of the guys will drive away um on in a taxi because I think he was a taxi driver during the day. <laughs> nice. And then he'll come back in ten to fifteen minutes. Uh but I saw those movies before where, you yeah. know, the transporter wants half now and half on delivery (laughs) so i said no how do i know that he's not going to run off with my 40 dollars yeah which at the time i didn't really care about (laughs) you're Uh, just
1: like how do i make sure i come out of this yes
2: so i said half now and half on delivery and they agreed to it (laughs) so we we gave him half um the guy drove off in the cab and then uh I drove under a a palm tree because that's where they told me to wait. (laughs) And 10 minutes later, the cab came back, told me to open my trunk, which he put the alcohol in. I sat in the car, Mm -hmm. which was kind of scary because I did not know what he put in the car.
0: (laughs) Could have been anything (laughs) scary.
2: And then I handed him the money and I went back home. And uh, I had a case of Heineken. And a bottle of gray goose. Wow. So how did you even find this place though? So my brother had lived there um, a little before that I showed up. Okay, And I guess he was talking to a coworker of his, and he told him about it. Wow.
1: And he was like, "Well, if you want to get some alcohol, like this is where you should go."
2: yes well, okay this, the
0: scenic route to get alcohol basically.
2: yeah it, and it's it's cheaper than going to a supermarket yeah, or yeah. a hotel no it taxes like it. no uh-huh. taxes a pretty good rate it seems yeah. like get some fresh air Yeah.
1: <laughs> ish yeah
0: okay wow this is maybe the second time i heard this story and it's better every time <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: um but yeah so you know, you talked about your experience in Dubai and, and working with the, the Bin Laden family and, um, you know, gave us a little bit of a lesson on what their business model is like. Um, but we want to actually circle back into like how you got into this whole thing in the first place, which was your dad asked you to come to basically be part of the family business in Korea. Uh, because there wasn't a, at the moment, a bright future in the States because of the crisis. So... Can you give us a little, like, a little quick lesson on, like, what is the Korean family business? And like, you know, were you excited about going? Were you
2: not excited? Like, what was that experience like for you? So at first, I was pretty excited about going to Korea. I had I had been there for a few summers uh, before while I was in school. Uh, so you know, I loved the food. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost felt like I was reconnecting with my roots. Okay. So, I was really excited about going. Uh, the root awakening part was when I noticed that the culture that they had was very different from what my culture was. Mm. Uh, so, that was a little difficult. Um, in terms of the business culture, there is... Um, and this is similar to the Middle East as well. But there's, there's a very big hierarchy mm. um, where mm. everyone speaks to each other in titles. Um, they don 't right. they don 't call you by your name, oh. they call you by your title interesting uh, and it 's kind of like a ranking system mm-hmm. um, and even within the same rank, if you had been in that business for a longer period of time, you ranked over them mm. um, unofficially mm. uh, so it 's uh, it 's very different from um, the culture here where you talk to your boss with on a first name basis mm-hmm. uh, for the most part yeah and if you get mad at something you could have that open conversation with right, them right. but in korea it's very different or uh, when i was there it was very different where um, it was a very hierarchy system right. where uh, you just had to listen to orders and do what you were told hmm. mm-hmm. especially if you're not like
1: even in the middle of the the tiers here. You had like so many people above you to tell you what to do.
2: Yes. Okay. So for me it was a little difficult because I came in as an assistant manager. Okay. Um and uh I didn't it's not because I had that experience from before, but it was because um they couldn't send um like an entry level person to go speak to their biggest shareholders in right, the Middle East. Right. So right. so uh, they gave me a rank just so that, you know, I could have some sort of authority when I spoke with them. Right. Um, so you were assigned the rank,
1: not based on your experience, but because of necessity.
2: Yes. Okay. Uh, but ironically, back in Korea, uh, it was uh, it was kind of despised by some of the workers mm-hmm. uh, because um, I did not earn it per se. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a little difficult as well. But um, after, I think after about a year, um, they kind of accepted that I was able to do my work. Mm-hmm. So it kind of got better. Like yeah. you proved yeah. yourself. Yes, right? uh, that and I, I kind of ingrained myself into the culture and I, mm-hmm. I adjusted my ideologies or my my thought process as well to kind of uh, kind of match theirs.
1: So that's a, I mean that's a good like overview for. I mean, the average listener who may or may not know um, about the the family business model um that is typical of korean owned and korean family owned businesses um so it sounds like you you were part of like a bigger um you were, or you and your family and your especially you and your dad
2: were part of a bigger business um so can you tell us a little bit about that? So my father had his own business that was working with a much larger a separate business, mm-hmm. which was the TV manufacturer that I ultimately was employed by. Okay, uh, he was involved directly with the acquisition of this company or investment of this company by okay. the Saudi Bin Laden Group. Mm. I see. So, after the acquisition or the investment happened, uh, my my father kind of helped run the company mm. um, from that point. But uh, this company had uh maybe a hundred office workers, and then in terms of the factory, there was about anywhere between two to four hundred factory okay. workers so it was, it was a rather large it's pretty big yeah. business right um so and i I never actually uh just worked with my dad mm-hmm. um i i had um you know the finance department which uh i believe encompassed about eight people mm. um where i was an assistant manager there mm-hmm. and there was people above me and there was people below me mm. that reported to me um and this all happened within that three to four year period mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so did uh, just out of curiosity
1: did your dad like um directly communicate with the bin Laden family or like I, i'm assuming
2: there's like a little bit of a language barrier there um can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So he's the actual one that had um, the direct relationship with the Bin Laden oh, family. Okay. Um, through his business channels that he made um, several years before, mm-hmm. he's the one that actually gave the sales pitch to um, one of the Bin Laden brothers to invest, start investing um, into a TV manufacturing um, business. plant yeah, okay. in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um,
1: so, like he like directly communicated with them. It sounds like yes. Okay. So your dad's bilingual then too. Uh,
2: his English is a little rough on okay. edges, <laughs> okay. I would say, but a well, lot. It of, sounds like enough to yeah. make that happen. A lot of hand gestures, right? And, ah. uh, yeah. Um, he's actually fluent in Spanish though. Oh, so interesting. Huh. Okay. So okay, uh, we tangent a little bit, but
1: we want to get back to so. You're not working for this business now, um, right? Like you're you're back in the states. You're doing financial business elsewhere. What happened? Like how did how did uh, you know what happened? Did did something happen with your business? You're, you know, and led to you coming back to the states? Or yeah,
2: tell us a little bit about that. So when I started with the company and I was working from them um, up to 2010, um, business was good. Um, we're turning around. Uh, pretty good numbers and um, you know adding to the company Uh, and it seemed like a like a a good plan like for for moving forward like
1: you you didn't have any plans to change necessarily right yes
2: so just not to go into too much detail but it was structured in a way that um Saudi Arabia was providing funding for the operations of the company so you know you have all your costs whether it be materials or you know your cost of sales mm-hmm. or you know all your general expenses um you have you have to either find you know financing through you know credit or you have to have cash mm-hmm. uh that's just um what happens with business yeah uh, so it was set up in a way that saudi arabia would fund the operations of this company and then um because they were part owner, uh, they would get interest and they would get, um, you know, a a portion of the profits based on their ownership. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And since they were investing so much money into the company, I was going back and forth and reporting to them. Mm -hmm. So that was my main job. Uh, So for something that good to end uh, abruptly, something drastic has to happen, right?
1: Yeah, because it sounds like a, I mean, the way you're describing it, it sounded like
2: a pretty stable job,
1: a pretty good situation, um, a good future, right? So,
2: if, if everything went well, I would still be there today, I think, right. in okay. Korea um, and traveling to the Middle East. Uh, but uh, I don't know if you remember, but in November 2010, there was uh, a mortar shell bombing by North Korea on one of the South Korean islands. Mm. Um I don't remember the exact number of people that were injured and killed, but uh, there was probably close to about 20 people that were killed because oh, wow. of mortar shell bombing. Wow. Um, and interestingly enough, I was actually, you know, um, in one of the shopping districts of Seoul um, when that happened and mm. the news broke, and no one seemed to care. They w- They huh. just kind of went on with their normal lives. But wow. everyone outside of the country was going nuts mm-hmm. i was I was receiving yeah. texts and you know emails from my friends back home. I was um getting phone calls from the Middle East saying, "You know what's happening with with Korea? are they yeah. going to war and um yeah. I tried to explain to them that it was all business as usual um within the country yeah uh but but for the middle East is and there's so much history, and they're always mm. stricken with, you know, um, with war and they're very so much sensitive conflict. To that. Yes, they're yeah. they're very sensitive to that. So they said, um, you know, we believe that that South Korea will retaliate and go to war with North Korea because of this. And they said we can't fund operations in a country that's going to be at war. Right. So they, the next day, they decided to stop funding operations and since i was so involved with the numbers i knew that um if this actually happened then the company would only last another three months or so Mm -hmm. Uh, so so i decided to leave um i i turned in my resignation Mm -hmm. um and i was actually looking for a job in korea at that time because uh you know my my heart and intent was to stay there for mm. a long period of time mm-hmm. but it was kind of hard to find another position where I was doing the same thing with the same responsibilities right. based on my experience of only having worked for so long mm-hmm. right right, um, right. so um, Southern California is nice yes yeah. it's, it's summer and spring uh, 12 months out of the year yep so yeah. I decided to come back yeah so that's pretty
1: like drastic, um, that that event, and <laughs> I guess leading to the your decision to leave, and also probably the end of that business too. Um, what was that turnaround time from that like the mortar bombing to like the,
2: the the stopping of the funding? Right. So that turnaround time probably took anywhere between five to seven months, and huh. It was. Okay. It wasn't really a good experience coming back either. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of said I came back, but um, kind of the the uh, events that led to me coming back was mm-hmm. a little drastic as well. Hmm. Um, those of your audience that might listen or watch Korean drama mm-hmm. um, probably saw when um, a company is going under and there's. A lot of angered employees or union workers uh, yeah right. the company wasn't unionized but but um they yeah, the usually company workers, yeah they usually go and you know uh go to the president's house and uh like you know knock down their door and and demand um payment mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason. Um, and that was kind of the situation that I was in. Wow! Um, oh, wow. Okay. My my mother was actually in Korea by that time as well, and um, uh, we had we had employees coming to our door demanding to come in, wow. and um, I knew that if they came in, they would never leave. Mm-hmm. So we we had to vacate our home, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I remember uh, over two nights. Um, between midnight and like five a.m., we we moved all of our personal belongings wow. out of our home, um, and we stashed them all in our our uh, relatives' homes, mm-hmm. and and uh, we we were able to you know get my father out of the country and then my mother out of the country and then yeah. and then uh, I came back mm-hmm. so it was uh it was pretty intense that yeah that's
1: so. I mean, that, that Korean drama, like, narrative, like, was actually pretty true in your situation yeah. then. It's
2: it's actually pretty accurate in the sense that it happens. Yeah. Um, there always has to be someone that is responsible when something like this happens. Mm. And I think it has to do with the culture. Mm. Here, if a company goes down, um, I I feel like a lot of the responsibility lies on um a lot of different people. Right. Um but I feel like in Korea, uh, when a company goes down, they're always trying to blame one person. Mm. And unfortunately like the
1: biggest person responsible. Yeah. Yes. At the oh. top man. And that happens to be your dad in the situation.
2: Yeah, because he had that relationship with the people that yeah. were funding the company. Mm-hmm. Right. So how did you guys end up managing to get
0: out of that situation with all these people coming after you or your dad?
1: We just fled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. G2G. <laughs> all right. Back to the states it is. Yeah. Dang. Oh. So okay. So that brings it, you know, brings a full circle. Like you know, we talked about your 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 original reason going to Korea for business, um, the connection to Dubai and Bin Laden family, and then ultimately that severed a connection, leading you back to coming here. Um, that's that's a crazy journey. Um, yeah. Did that did that affect you? Like um, trying to get work here, um, or was that difficult, um, or was it like pretty easy to like kind of um, get back
2: into like. The workforce here it was pretty difficult because at that point the only experiences that i had with you know finance and business was failure mm. and i was still pretty young by that time i was probably 25 26 mm-hmm. so it was it was difficult being part of the entrepreneurial business mm. uh, life mm-hmm. um so I just tried to find a stable job, maybe switch careers. Mm-hmm. Um, but deep down inside, I knew um, from my childhood even that I belonged in that finance world. Yeah. And so, yeah. so somewhere between then and now, I kind of came back to being in the finance realm. Mm. Okay. Dang, man. Yeah. It's
0: it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Do you think these experiences have uh, kind of toughened you up for any sort of professional or personal uh, experiences in the future?
2: I think it's a little bit of both of uh, toughening and scarring. Uh. Um, I'm definitely uh, risk adverse now. Hmm. I I don't like to take a lot of risks in what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, uh, I know that if I'm faced with a tough circumstance like, even fleeing a country, right? Uh, it's not too new for me to kind of pick up. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Although that's not a very good skill to have. <laughs> yeah. I'm like,
1: that's... It's great that you have that skill, but hopefully you won't
2: have to utilize it. It's not it. a skill
0: you put on your resume. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Let's just say I'm not planning to use that skill in the near future. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just based on what
1: you've shared, like... you you've gone through a lot of really, I guess, unique, but challenging and, and formative experiences through yeah. your post-grad life. Um, and you know, to different degrees than maybe some of our other guests who have talked about like, you know, life after college and in their careers and businesses. So, you know, I don't know how relevant this would be for our listeners out there, but, um, you know, can you, can you share with, uh, our listeners like just, I don't know, any practical tips through your experiences that you have gained and that you would recommend for people who may not be necessarily in a similar situation but going through some hard career or
2: life things? So a lot of my peers that graduated school with me, by the time that I was back in the States, um, they were already established in their careers. Hmm. Um, They were looking at possibly, you know, they were thinking about mortgages and, Hmm. you know, Hmm. Uh, long-term uh, retirement savings, but I was kind of at square one. Um, hmm. I when didn't have back? any money in my pocket because I spent all of it trying to get back. Hmm. Um, I didn't have a smartphone. That's when smartphones were kind of coming of age. Okay. Um, I couldn't afford one, so I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have a car. Um, so I, I definitely felt like I was straight out of college, right. but right. I had aged, what, eight years? um and i know i know this resonates a lot with um recently graduated folks Mm. uh but um a lot of times they feel like oh if i did not pick the right major or if i'm not in the same industry that i studied in by Mm -hmm. the time that i'm 22 or 23 um i'm so behind uh but Uh, contrary to the saying that life is short life is long (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah and and i don't think certain people know what their true calling whether it be profession or you know their passions they don't know until maybe they're even 40 or 50 years old Mm -hmm. so in that sense um it's never too late right i have i have You know, some people that are in their late 20s, maybe even early 30s saying, you know, I'm thinking about a career change, but I don't know if I could handle doing something like that. And my advice to them is always, hey, if you're having this conversation with me right now, it's not too late. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, You you just need to follow uh, what you think you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, have the counsel of very smart and uh, people that know you, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but um, it's never too late.
0: That's good cool. advice. That
1: is
2: good advice. Yeah. I think that's, that
1: is very contrary to what I guess people are told or people believe coming out of college nowadays. And they, I think even for us, yeah, you know, we're, we're all fairly similar age, but still like when, when we came out of college, it was the idea like, Oh, you have to kind of make it. And, and by the time you're like mid twenties already, like you kind of have to have it figured out. Right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I've had more conversations over, over the last few years of people who are are career changing or are figuring out what they want to do. And mm-hmm. just like, dude, actually, like, you don't have to have it figured out by 25, 26, or even like 21, 20, you know, like, you, there's, there's so much room for you to like, figure out and that's i think that's a, your 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 advice is very very uh, spot on for i think a, a good yeah. number of our audience
0: yeah definitely wow some really fun stories uh thanks again ronald for coming on um so we got a kind of relevant uh Wreck of the week yeah for this episode it's um we all three of us are asian and american um we're going to recommend a non-Asian and a non-American restaurant uh, to recommend to the listeners. Um, and you guys have one?
1: Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and start. Um, I think I'm probably being safe in my recommendation um, because we're here in Southern California, but um, I'm going to recommend uh, Guisados. Um, so mm. Guisados has a couple of different locations now, but they're a pretty delicious Mexican joint. Um, they're known for their tacos and... Um, especially known for their like braised meat, hmm. um, yeah, uh, they're super super good. Um, there's one in L.A. that I or a, a couple of them in L.A. that I know of and I've been and yeah, I, I always look forward to going when I when I do. So pretty pretty good tacos, pretty good price. Um, I recommend that. Awesome. How about you? Uh,
2: for me, as as much as I hated living in the Middle East for my short stint there. <laughs> Uh, Sometimes I do uh, remember the taste of the food, Mm -hmm. and um, I do miss it. Uh, And my recommendation is a little commercialized, I would say. And Mm. um, people might say, hey, like that's not really a recommendation. (laughs) But uh, it's Zanku chicken, actually. And for me, uh, the true taste of wherever I went came from. Um, street food, mm. um, whether it was like a hole in the wall joint or, you know, carts on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of tough uh, to get that these days because um, everyone's trying to make it luxurious. It's it's an elegant meal. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like they're doing that with Middle Eastern food as well. Right. But for Zenku chicken, um, their food is very... Uh, Humble, Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. you kind of get a little bit of that street flavor as well. Um, Mm. They have a lot of locations, I believe, um, near us, Uh, but uh, it kind of reminds me of the taste of food when I was back
1: there.
2: (laughs) Not to mention the highly
1: addicting garlic sauce. Oh, yes. Oh, Mm -hmm. man.
0: For myself, uh, there's this kind of fancier Indian place in Irvine called Clay Oven. Huh. Um, I found out about it because there was an Instagram ad. To be honest, and <laughs> nice? they okay. had this bone marrow like uh, platter, or like you put it on bread and stuff, and it it just looked so good. And I wanted to go just for that. Uh, went there, got all their other dishes like the tandoori, um, you know, butter chicken and whatnot. And mm. I mean, I love Indian food, but it was done in a way that's. Um, Contrary to what uh Ronald is saying, it's actually kinda of more <laughs> well well done, I guess. Like more refined. More refined and trying to be a little bit more bougie, right? But <laughs> um, it's good. I mean it's it's a little bit more pricey than your typical like Indian joint, but really tasty nonetheless.
1: Cool. Yeah, here's a couple of wrecks, you know, some some casual food, some some easy bites and I guess a bougie restaurant too, <laughs> um, or bougie Indian food. Um, thanks again, Ronald for joining us. We ha- you know, had a really good time, uh, just hearing about your work history and, and the crazy stories that came with it. Um, and again, um, we hope that it was fun
2: for you as well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, It's going to be weird listening to my voice, (laughs) but uh, I'll just expect that it's some guy named Ronald. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh,
2: And again, for the listeners out there, um, we hope you
1: had fun joining us in this adventure um, into a different side of things that we probably wouldn't normally hear. Um, And, you know, again, ultimately we do hope that it's helpful too. Um, That's why we always try and give not just some good food or other recommendations, but just hopefully some pr- practical tips too. Um, again, if you, if you enjoyed our session, uh, we want to encourage you guys to not just subscribe to our podcast on whatever medium you're listening to, whether it's iTunes, Google, Spotify, whatever it is. Um, but if you want to give us a rating too, that would be actually super helpful. Um, uh, we, we do look at it and see, um, and kind of take feedback seriously because we want to grow. We want to make our podcast relevant for you guys. And, uh, we want, um, you know, we want this to be good for for you guys. Um, if you uh, want to follow us on our social uh, social media account, um, our biggest account is our Instagram. Um, it's at Just Drive Pod. Again, that's at Just Drive Pod. Um, that we only post a couple times a week. Uh, we, we won't spam you guys. We promise. We'll just post when a new session is released, which is every Tuesday. Technically Monday night, but ready for your listening ears on Tuesday morning for your commute. Uh, we also post our um, drink of the week. Um, and again, thank you to our partner, um, hopefully sp- sponsor in the future, um, Tavor. Um, again, if you want to use our code, it's just Jive. Uh, code is just Jive. Um, that's J-U-S-T-J-I-V-E. Um, join us in our beer adventure. Um, but yeah, follow us on our, our social media. And the last thing we post um, each week is just our Simple Rec. So you'll see our our, rec- our recommendations for these restaurants.
0: Yeah. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us again. We'll see you next
1: time. See ya. Bye.